Well, good morning, Northside. It's good to be with you guys today. We are in the middle of this Tied Up in Knots series, and Neil just did a great job kind of teeing up the topic for today. As you guys know, about two weeks ago, we had Nate that was teaching, and he was talking about what it means to not worry. And from this stage, I kind of mocked him a little bit, and I was just saying, good luck. That's a hard one. I mean, what was the prep like for you all week when you're trying not to worry? That's, that's a tough one. And then last week, George got to get up here and teach, and he was teaching on what it means to not judge. Yikes. That's tough. But here's the deal. For today, as you already know what the theme is, is for sin, here's, here's my plea with you. I will promise not to worry if you'll promise not to judge. Is that fair? I don't know who's got off easier on that, but I'm going to talk about what it is to not sin. And can you imagine having three or four weeks of that going in your head? How are you going to preach on that? What's that going to look like? It's hard stuff, you guys. This is a massive topic. This is a topic that we could, uh, we could talk about forever and still not quite get it right. And maybe that's the point. This is a massive, massive topic. And how do we narrow it? What do we do with that? And uh, the, the, the flip side is it could be a really short and simple message, couldn't it? I mean, here's the 10-second version, then I'll just walk off the stage. Sin. God's against it, but he has a plan for it. That it that's it. It's done. But it's not quite that simple, is it? I and mean, we know he's against it, and we know he has a plan, but what do we do in the meantime? What does that look like? And so we're going to talk through this in a variety of ways, and we're going to wrestle with this because the reality is we're in a sin-stained world. And we're part of that sin. We're part of that staining. We're part of that mess. And everywhere we look, we see all kinds of examples of brokenness, don't we? If you, you don't have to look very far. You can look in the bathroom mirror and you see brokenness. We know that. And yet there's some things that Jesus says in his word that are going to really challenge us today. What do we do with this pesky thing we call sin? And so one of the things I wanted to do is start with a, a very simple definition of sin. Many of you guys already know this. If you look at the Greek word that is translated sin for us, you're going to see that it's, a, it's an archery term, and it literally means to miss the mark. So when that archer draws back and misses, even just by a little bit, that's a sin. That's a sin. And to illustrate this a little bit, we had a staff play day about six weeks ago. We don't do this all the time. We actually work. But in this case, we were out on a day where we, we had a great teaching from Neil Wyndham, we were doing some spiritual formation stuff, and then the back half of that day was, let's just go have fun together. And we were at a retreat site where they had axe throwing. It was awesome. I thought about bringing that out here today, but I'm just not good enough. You know, that, that would have been dangerous. But we were throwing, and, and there were some people that could hit pretty close to the bullseye. Bullseye's about the size of my hand, my open hand. And uh, you kind of have some competition. And I, I was telling them, I said, I've competed at a, at a state level and sometimes at a national level back in the day. I'm more nervous about this. You know, the staff's staring at you through a fence, they're chanting, and you're getting nervous about throwing. But we got a guy on our staff that could throw like nine times out of ten a bullseye, Andy Clark. I know, I know. Don't let the mild demeanor fool you. He's a savage. He's a savage. And yesterday, I was walking through the halls before, before preaching, and I said, Andy, we're talking about sin today. I'm using you as an example. He was paying attention. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you? But yeah, so bullseyes every time would be sin not. But even within that bullseye the size of my hand, if you just get a little bit of the red, it's still a sin. And that's bad news for us, isn't it? I mean, we know the scriptures in Romans, it talks about that all, that's all of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. And yet God is calling us to, 
to move from that to holiness. And so this is a challenge for us. About 15 years ago, I was uh, finishing up a youth retreat, and there was some, eh, maybe 20 years ago, more I think about it. I was finishing up a youth retreat, and it was, I was tired, I was worn out, it was late at night, and I stopped at the gas station just to grab a, a quick snack on my way home. And uh, as I did, I got into the gas station, and the, the lady that was working the cash register, she was kind of timid and maybe a little clueless for, for what was going on, because I looked behind me, and there was two guys that weren't in there to shop. They were in there for something else, and I was trying to figure it out. And so I'm taking my time to select the candy bar. And I don't know if you've ever done this before. You, especially when it's bright inside and it's dark outside. If you work hard, you can see through the glass into the, where the gas is being pumped. But you can also see the reflection back behind you. So I'm grabbing a candy bar, but I'm really just watching going, what are they doing? And I'm watching and they're literally elbowing each other and they're gesturing toward me. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to get interesting. So I take the candy bar and I go over and I grab a drink and same thing. I open up the glass and I'm kind of watching the reflection. They're still gesturing at me. They're now in pole position. They're about to come in. I mean, I was like, this is not what I was expecting tonight. And so I walked up to the, to the cash register and I, I did something like this. I was like, be careful. Watch them. And she's like, that'll be 319. I was like, oh, you're missing. So I pay my, I pay my, uh, for my, for my snacks. And as I do, I saw them make one last motion, you get him. And the guy came up to me, and I put a foot out in the aisle like, I'm going to move quick. And he tapped me on the shoulder. He got right up in my personal space. He goes, do you know Jesus? <laughs> not, not quite what I was expecting. You know? I was like, yes, I do. I thought I was about to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> So we went outside and, and we continued the conversation. I thought, okay, good, I can let my guard down. But guys, real quick, my guard came back up. Because as we were talking, they started to say, so how long have you been a Christian? And I said, oh, it's been, it's been uh, a couple decades now. And they said, right, so you've not sinned in two decades, right? And I said, what? And they said, right, because we, I mean, John here hasn't sinned in the last 10 years. And I, I became a Christian eight years ago. I haven't sinned since. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I guess the guard's got to go back up. Guys, what are you talking about? And they started twisting scriptures and throwing them at me saying, when you become a Christian, you will never sin again. Does that sound broken to you guys? Me too. That's not the gospel I know. And so they began to be belligerent about this. And I finally just had to say, guys, we're, we're done with the conversation. I'm sorry you feel that way. Remind you of these scriptures. Go look at them. And that was it, I thought. Well, they found out in the next couple of weeks they would hang out at our church and they would talk with our students. They'd talk with our parents and they would try to convince them that there was a very, very different gospel. Let me be clear today. We're going to talk about the gospel in a lot of ways. We're going to talk about sin in a lot of ways. But the answer is not that we are going to be sin-free. Amen? But God's got a plan. And we're going to talk about that. Twice in the scriptures, Jesus does say, though, Go and sin no more. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? So we're going to look at these real quick. So John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11 says this. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Wouldn't you love to know what that was? 
As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Well, there's a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot there. That could be the message, but we're going to fly really high today because we're talking about sin broadly here. What's happening? First of all, this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. That's the better translation. I'll keep this PG, but think about that for a second. Caught in the very act. And for this to be a legal matter, above and beyond God's law to man's law, if you were going to be caught in adultery, there needed to be eyes witnessing exactly that. Understand? And there were. There were. In fact, there were scribes and Pharisees. What are they doing in that room? How were they there to witness that but weren't interested in stopping that or preempting that? That's a good question for us. It might tell you a little bit about the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're, they're there because they want to use this poor woman as a pawn in their game. They want to get to Jesus. They want to find a way to trick him, catch him, put him in a tough spot where they can expose him. It's a really strange and messed up thing. And talk about strange and messed up. This is, if you didn't catch it in the text, this is in the temple courts. We've got a woman who at least had a reputation where they knew that they could get her, they could trick her, they could put her in this situation. Then when they catch her, they bring her to the temple courts. It'd be a little bit like bringing her in here, right here, right now. In the middle of a worship service, and some of the leaders bring her in and put her right here and say, we got her. Exhibit A, church leadership, what are you going to do about this? Tell me about church discipline, let's get her. And you'd be asking the questions, is this the right place and time? What are we doing? Where, where was the front end ministry to keep this from happening? And why is this such an important thing right here, right now? Well, they're exposed. It's a bad deal. And they did this because they want to test him, verse 6. The second thing is, it takes two to tango, right? Keeping it PG. It takes two to tango, but there's not a man that they're bringing up here. Just the woman. Again, what's really going on? Have we missed it somehow? Why with man's law are we going after one and not the other? Why with man's law are we doing this here and now? There's a lot of sin talk going on here, but there's no apparent consequences. No apparent consequences other than trying to belittle the woman because while she was caught, she wasn't condemned. That's really important. We'll get back to that later. She was caught, but she wasn't condemned. And the older ones left first. The scripture says they came with the stones. They're ready. But as Jesus drew in the ground, they were like, right, first, no, no, with the one without sin, throw the first stone. I'll be back next year. And, and they leave. The older ones start. And I got a feeling what's happening is these older ones, they've been there and done this. This has been their pilgrimage over and over again. This is the closest they're going to get to the holy too. And they remember the last time they brought a sacrifice. And it was for a very evident sin. And the time before that. And the time before that. And Jesus says, if you don't have sin, go ahead and throw. Mm. 
there's something really interesting that happens here. And I, I hope you guys already know this, but let me highlight this for a second. This is the way of God. This is how it works. James 4, 6 talks about this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in this case, it's okay. You want to play law with me? Let's talk about this. And then he turns to her and extends grace. It's not that she wasn't without sin, but in that moment, she was without condemnation. And we'll reflect on this more in communion, but Romans 8.1 is this wonderful verse that a lot of you know. It's locked in your heart and in your head. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? For those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. And what he's saying to her there is, I know you were caught, literally caught, in the act, and you're here in this holy place, but I'm telling you, there's no condemnation. It's a wonderful picture of grace, you guys. And we can't talk about sin if we're not going to talk about grace. Jesus didn't diminish the sin, but he did demonstrate grace. The second passage is John 5, verses 2 through 14. Listen to what this says. This is now not an adulterous woman, but a crippled man. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, one man who had been there for an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse might happen to you. What an interesting statement. There's so much to talk about here. And like the last text, I'm going to fly over this quickly and see if we can grab some principles here. So many questions. Why did Jesus ask, do you want to be healed? 38 years. 38 years, unable to walk, unable to stand. And he says, hey, do you want to be healed? And everybody else would have said, are you kidding? What kind of question is that? In his case, he's like, hey, I've got this problem. I'm still trying to get into the water where we think there's healing. Can you help me? So in some ways, he kind of answered the question, but I love what Jesus asks. Do you want to be made well? And it's a fair question for us because when we get trapped in our mess, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't. We don't want to be made well because it's familiar, and we'll take familiar over the risk of trying something different. Sometimes with our sin habits, we'd rather take what we know because that's where our friends are. That's what our routines are. We'll choose that. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? He's starting to get to the heart of the matter. Jesus then, he, he doesn't even mention who he is. I mean, wouldn't you think if you're the savior of the world and you're trying to build this ministry, you'd be like, hey, now that you're healed, here's my business card, get the word out, I'm on social media, post a lot. He doesn't do that. He's, he, he disappears. And the guy's like, well, I'm standing, I'm holding my bed. I don't know who did this. But when the Pharisees come, when the leaders come, do you see what they're asking? They're not saying, this is miraculous. We've seen you here for decades. Who's the guy that healed you? How did God do this? They said, 
who's the guy that told you to break the rule that we made? Notice I said the rule that we made. Because the Sabbath had its own rules by God, but then man comes in and gives all these meticulous little details that just make this ridiculous. And how dare you carry your mat when you no longer need it as an illustration of God's grace. So they've got it all wrong and they're trying to figure this out. But Jesus says something really interesting here. While the men, the leaders, the leaders, the religious leaders were far more interested in law than grace. Be careful. That could be us. While that's true, Jesus comes in and he's far more interested in grace. And in this case, he's talking with the man and he's like, see, you're well. Grace. But then he says something really interesting. He says, sin no more that nothing worse might happen to you. Isn't that something? What does that mean? That could be a sermon in itself right there, couldn't it? Sin no more that something worse might not happen. So maybe, maybe what happened is whatever the sin was that this man was in caused his accident, his injury, his illness, his whatever, and it was a natural consequence of sin. Maybe, maybe God allowed this in his sinful state. Maybe. We'll get to more of that later. But he says, don't do this anymore. Sin not because something worse might happen. What is worse than 38 years of being in this place, laying here hoping against hope? And I would say what's worse than that is having a lifetime of not understanding life to the full that Jesus is offering. Or worse, eternity of not understanding what Jesus had offered. And Jesus is saying, there is a consequence of sin. Be careful. Sin no more because something worse could actually happen. Now, some of you might be nervous about this, and so I want to just slow this down for just one second more. We're going to go to John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Because in John 9, 1 to 3, it talks a little more about this. And what, what's the... What's the, uh, uh, the connection of those who are physically uh, hindered and those who are in sin? How does that work? John 9, 1 through 3 says this, And he passed by and he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, right now, in this day and age, the, the Hindus in India that I've interacted with quite a bit would believe that when someone has a, a physical limitation, a birth defect, some sort of handicap, or, or however we phrase that, they would say, ah, oh, that's sin. That's the gods, plural, judging you. We're going to stay away from you. That's the mindset. And in some of us in our own upbringing, it would be like, oh, something went wrong. God's getting even. Something's wrong here. Uh, who's to blame? What do we do here? In this case, the disciples come with the same mindset. They go, there's somebody. Hmm. Well, this one's been blind from birth. Obviously, somebody sinned. Who was it? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus is like, nah, not, not so fast. Not so fast. In this case, look what he's saying. He's saying as a parallel, he's saying, this is being allowed because God is about to get glorified. Isn't that something? Some of you are in that boat within the sound of my voice. You're like, oh, that's me. God might use whatever I'm dealing with 
to bring him glory. You might have a son or a daughter or a family member that's struggling in that way or you know the person down the street. We know. But don't be so quick to say that's God getting even who sinned. It might be quicker to say, what's God going to do? The Apostle Paul even comes to Jesus and he says three times, hey, would you remove this thorn from my flesh? I'm a mess. And we don't know what that thorn was. It could be blindness. It could be a, a, a bad hip. We don't know. But in whatever it is, he's like, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Do you remember the answer? He says, I'm not going to heal you. My grace is sufficient for you. Grace. <laughs> my power is going to be perfected in your weakness. Isn't that awesome? If we're struggling in that area, maybe that's something we should be looking at. So a quick compare and contrast here with the, uh, the, the adulterous woman and the man who is, who is lame or crippled in some way. Uh, in one case, the Pharisees initiate it because they want to trap Jesus. In the other case, Jesus wants to initiate for a very different reason. Uh, they expose Jesus versus Jesus hides. But then the, the, what's similar is so interesting and so helpful for us. In both cases, he's about restoration. Jesus is about restoration. In both cases, it's the go and sin no more. But here's maybe the best part. This, this, I get so excited about this. The best part is it didn't start with sin no more and then I'll heal. In both cases, it was I'm going to restore you and then sin no more. Did you catch that? Grace came first. Grace came first. And then our activity. Grace precedes the law. He takes the initiative, and that's really, really good news for us, amen? We've got a God who wants to act now in our mess, not wait for us to get better so that he can act. That's the gospel. That's our story. Grace comes before we get our act together. It comes before good works. He takes the initiative. We didn't earn his sacrifice on the cross. We couldn't, and that's why he was sacrificed on the cross. Big deal. Uh, let, me, let me try and paint the picture this way because grace is one of those funny things where you can hear it and think you've got it and then 10 minutes later you're like, nope, I still don't got it. I'm still wrestling with this. I'm still wrestling with this. But grace and sin might be a little bit like COVID if I can have this metaphor for just a second. COVID affects everybody differently. It's unpredictable. There's different parts that trip us up. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. And yet we're supposed to walk around in it. What do we do? How does that work? And in God's economy, what he could have done is he could have said, let's see, uh, I've got an idea. I know that humanity is just wrecked with sin. Let me get the best mask that I can find, and then they can be on their own merry way. Let me get the best vaccine, and I will put it into them, and they will be out being able to run around in the sinful mess with no implications. Better let me put in them genetically the antibodies that are necessary so that they can have independent lives and not worry about this anymore. Could have. Better. Amazing. The thing that's been wrecking me for the last three or four days is that God says, here is my plan. My plan is they are going to be wrecked by sin unless they depend on me for salvation. And they depend on me daily for sanctification. Guys, that's the gospel. There is nothing that we get to grab or take hold of that will keep us independent from Jesus in this fight with sin. He'll say sin no more, but the way to get there is embracing the cross. That's our truth. That's what we hang on to. We've been made utterly dependent on Christ. 
Let me do it this way for just a second, and we're going to be wrapping up before you know it. Let's see what this does. I think we can get you guys to see this and grasp this. I would bet that you're like me, and somewhere in your um, early years, early days of being a Christian, you would have seen it a little bit like this caution tape. You would have seen it a little bit like this. I understand that this is where I was. Sorry, you're the half that's, uh, the, that's the sin half, okay? That you guys are the illustration over here. Did I just hear a woo from one of you? <laughs> and over here is the, uh, we're pursuing sanctification. You can be excited about that. Yes, you can. Okay. So over here, this is where we were. We know what this is like. We've dabbled here. We've lived here. We've experienced this. Over here is this ongoing dependence on the cross, on our Savior. But some of us see this as a balanced beam to master rather than a danger zone to avoid. Am I right? Some of us have been here for a long time, and God is calling us here and always has. And I can tell you from experience, personal experience, that for many years, my game was this. How can I get really close? Oh, if you've never seen your profile on a really big screen, you're better off. This is awful. <laughs> See how close you can get and even dabble in sin from time to time as long as you're still standing in the safe zone of being heaven bound. We've done this, haven't we? We dabble here for a weekend and we come back. But here's the deal. That's not what he's called us to. That's not the gospel we're called to. So while we have no condemnation, that doesn't give us the invitation to be here. With no condemnation is a call to be holy as he is holy. To pursue him. To run in that direction. Let me say it differently. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18 has a, a pretty vivid word. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin to become slaves of righteousness. To say it relatively crassly, we are going to be slaves to sin or Savior. To say it slightly better would be to say we're going to be held captive to one or the other. Better yet, we are going to be captivated toward one or the other. And that's the training in godliness that we have. That's what we're called to do. This is the gospel. We have been rescued. There is no condemnation, but why would you stay here? Paul says, by no means am I going to stay there. Instead, I'm going to run the race with perseverance, focusing on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of my faith. That's the gospel. So let me get really practical and we'll wrap this up. There's three different ways that we get to diagnose this for ourselves. We've heard a lot. We've seen a lot of imagery. But let's diagnose this for a second. Where do you stand today? Where is your world today? I would suggest we get to examine three things. We get to examine our heart. And there's two passages to talk about with this. We examine our heart. And we do that by what we're speaking about. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Similarly, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's happening here? If you want to examine your heart to know what you're captivated by, do a speech audit. What do you talk about? When you have the freedom to speak about whatever you want to speak about, what do you talk about? What arena 
do you nav- navigate toward, drift toward? I love, I love when I get to hear my seven-year-old humming worship songs, talking about Jesus when she's got idle time. I can see where her heart is drifting, who she's captivated by. How about you? Examine your head. What are you increasingly thinking about? That's the next thing. What do you think about? Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says this, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. And some of us, and I have been there, will say, man, I missed that one. That was a fun sin. I wonder if I can still sample this and still have the benefits of this. Set your mind on things other than on earth, right? Examine your hands. Keep up with me on this one. Examine your hands. There's this really interesting passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6.15 that says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They didn't know how to blush. Have you been around the people? Have you been the kind of person that have been so mired in this mess that you even forget how to blush? The things that should embarrass you, the things that should shame you are so familiar, you're so calloused from playing in all the sharp objects of sin that it just doesn't hurt anymore? Examine your hands. Are you still able to blush and be sensitive to his leading when he takes your hand? Let me wrap up by just saying this. Jesus does say go and sin no more, but he doesn't do it because he expects perfection, just a pursuit of him. Jesus says go and sin no more, not because he wants you to miss out on life, but because he wants you to have life and have it to the full. Jesus says go and sin no more, not because he wants you to have the burden of independence apart from him, but because he wants you to have the blessing of dependence upon him in everything that we say and do. He says, go and sin no more. The goal has never been sinlessness. It's been Christ-likeness. And when we pursue him, we don't become sinless, but we sin less. It's fitting that we get to think about this in this way. God is not a fan of it, but he has made a plan for it. And that plan is his son at the cross. And so as we transition to a time of communion, I want us to reflect for a second on that. God knew from the earliest, earliest of moments that we were going to be ensnared in sin. And he planned for a son to die for us. He planned for a son to walk into our mess and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. His body broken that we might be whole. His blood shed that we might be washed whiter than snow. It's a chance for us to examine our heart and our head and our hands and depend on him all the more. So let's just take a couple minutes to do that. And we'll take the elements, and then we'll come back to worship.